Let's take our Bibles this morning, go to Ecclesiastes in chapter number 6. The uh, song tandems with the message this morning. And so, um, thank the Lord allows uh, the arrangement of things as He does at times. And so, we're going to talk this morning about the vanity of wealth, part 2. And um, last week we talked about this idea... It was more along the lines of last week, the vanity of more, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. Well, if I just had a little bit more, maybe a little bit more, just a tad bit more, a lot more. And more always leads to the desire for more. He says, those who seek to be satisfied with silver will never be satisfied with silver. There's nothing of this world's riches that'll ever satisfy and today we're going to talk about more on the other side of this, how really utterly worthless it is to put your value in the riches of this world, because in comparison to the value of the riches of heaven, there's no comparison, zero comparison whatsoever. So if you found your place there in Ecclesiastes 6 and you're able to, let's stand together this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word, Ecclesiastes and chapter number 6. <clears throat> Again, just uh, following the th- train of thought of where we were last week, if you weren't here uh, last week, um, you'll have to watch the service from last week after this morning and maybe fill in some of the blanks. And so Ecclesiastes chapter 6 and verse number 1. There is an evil which I have seen under the sun. And it is common among men. Uh, Take a minute from reading here for a second. You don't have to look very hard to find this. Actually, you could look just about anywhere, maybe even right here in this room this morning, and you can find this, because this evil is common among men. Verse number two, it says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet, God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. This is vanity, and it is an evil disease. If a man beget an hundred children and live many years, so that the days of his years be many, and his soul be not filled with good, And also that he have no burial. I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. And his name shall be covered with darkness. Moreover, he hath not seen the sun, nor known anything. This hath more rest than the other. Yea, though he live a thousand years, twice told, yet hath he seen no good, do not all go to one place. And that just blesses your soul in this cold January morning. But it helps Solomon painting this picture once again, the same idea of the utter vanity and the waste of a life that is spent for wealth. And so may God bless the reading of His Word. You can be seated. Thank you for standing in honor of the Scriptures here this morning. 
We'll just come out of the gate swinging here this morning. Um, wealth will never produce happiness. There you go. Amen. Let's pray. We'll have an invitation. We'll head home. Amen. <laughs> wealth will never produce happiness. Um, some years ago, um, oh, it's probably been three or four years ago at this point, uh, I was shocked, as probably maybe some of you all are as well, if uh, you keep even somewhat of a pulse of the world and uh, those that are involved in acting or that are in the limelight in any way. Uh, there was a, a death that really was quite untimely, a suicide that took place that just was by a very well-known actor that just took me off guard and I think a lot of other people the same way. The man's name was Robin Williams. And most people would be familiar with who that is and know maybe a movie or some things that he did and uh, would at least know who he is. Now, I need to be clear, obviously, in talking about this, where anytime we bring somebody up, it's not an encouragement to go and indulge in anything that person was involved with. Just trying to draw some connection here with an individual who seemingly had it all and yet didn't have anything. One might say, uh, really, in a very, very pointed way, I think there would probably be no disagreement uh, in the area of material things. If somebody had it all, Robin did. Wealth? Yeah. Fame? Yeah, you mentioned his name. People know who he is. I mean, he was recognizable of all of those things. Fortune? Had it. Possessions? Had it. Family. Had it. He had a, had a family. Good deeds. Yeah, you can look up. The man himself was quite prolific in helping others and giving away a lot of his money and being very charitable and involved. And the list could go on and on and on. So we could look at his life and we could say this. It was full. There was a lot of stuff, a lot of things, a lot of relationships, a lot of notoriety that was connected to it. What then, and this is kind of a question that maybe we reel in our own mind, would cause a man like this to take his own life, who by the outside estimation of looking in, should have been the most happy man on the earth? Actually, watching him on the outside, you would say this, nobody is happier than that guy. It's like he's always laughing and had a smile on his face and everything was ho-hum and wonderful and perfect and great. The truth that many people miss, though, is that happiness is not a product of any of those things that we've mentioned and more. Actually, there is nothing in this world that can afford you joy or happiness. It might give temporary reprieve, but ultimately it cannot give lasting fulfillment and contentment. Joy is only a product of one thing. It is a product of Almighty God. And there is nothing in this broken world system or in our fallen flesh or in this messed up world that we live in that will ever in any iota give any lasting or true fulfillment or joy. It just cannot do it. Now Solomon explained this plight thousands of years ago, but here's the thing. He said this is a, an evil that is very common, prolific, and it will not be something that is stopped till Jesus comes again. 
that there will be those who are enticed and who are drawn into this faulty way of thinking that if I could just have this, my life would be full. If I could just experience that, my life would have meaning and purpose. Now, we noticed in chapter 5, toward the end of chapter number 5, we read there uh, about the discontent man. Now, again, we talked about there's nothing wrong with material things. <clears throat> Let me go ahead and get that out of the way. Money is amoral, which simply means this. It carries no moral weight to it. Okay? Uh, it's like the note on a piano. The note on a piano can be used for a great and beautiful song, or it can be used for like a kid banging on a piano where it sounds like garbage and trash. It's just a note. It can be used for great good or used for great evil. Money is the same way. Material possessions are the same way. They are amoral. The problem that the scriptures present to us is, is when the attitude connected to it becomes love for that money, it says that becomes the root or the originating point of all kinds of evil. Amen. So much so that the New Testament would describe it this way, love of money is the root of all evil. And so we need to be mindful that as we looked at last week, that a person who has a discontent attitude, and by discontent attitude we simply mean this, the lot that God has given them, they say this, I'm not satisfied with that, I must have more. I must have more, I must have more, I must have more. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with trying to uh, dream big or accomplish something great, but here's the danger. When that becomes the all-consuming passion of our life is we got to have more stuff and we got to grow a bigger business and we got to have more money and we got to have a fatter 401k and i got to have this and i got to have that or else I will not be fulfilled is when you get what you're after, the next step is more and more and more and more and you'll never be satisfied. Where Solomon then presents an alternative idea of this he says, a person who knows how to enjoy the good that God has given them and knows how to be content with godliness, he says this in the New Testament, it's great gain. Amen. Contentment with godliness is. Which simply says this, what God has given me, I'm going to use it for the glory of God and the good of others, and I'm going to be content with what God has given me. If God blesses me with more, praise the name of Jesus. If God leaves me with what I have, praise the name of the Lord. If I have less, praise the name of the Lord. I'm going to be content with what God's given me. He says it's a total attitude shift from wanting more of this world's good, instead wanting more of the Lord. It's an attitude shift. So we learned last week some about this discontent man and the great danger that it is. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 18. You can kind of back up in those verses just a hair from where we started reading today. Those last few verses talk about the good or godliness of contentment and how great gain it is. Verse 18, he says, Behold that which I have seen, it is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth and hath given him power to eat thereof and to take his portion and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God, for he shall not much remember the days of his life because God answereth him in the joy of his heart. 
Well, what are those verses saying? Simply saying this, whatever portion God has given you, rejoice in that and give glory to God and live for the purposes of God, not for the stuff. There's contentment with great gain. Now, the content person recognizes that this is a gift from God, but a discontent wealthy person is described as having in chapter 6 a common evil. The discontent rich are consumed with what verse number 2 calls an evil disease. It's kind of a harsh language that's used here for this. But stick with me. We're going to kind of develop some of this here. Okay. In verse number 1 he says this, This is an evil which I have seen under the sun and is common among, among men. Now the word evil here obviously is bad. Okay, that should be self-explanatory. But it goes a little bit deeper than just bad. When he talks about this evil that is present, it holds the idea that there is absolutely zero redeemable qualities of it. It's not just bad. It is so bad that there's absolute the absence of anything good. It is the quintessential of anything bad. So when he mentions here that there's this evil that is present, he's simply saying this, there's nothing good about it. It's not like 99.9% good with 0.1% bad. No, no, it's, it's altogether evil. It's altogether bad. There's no redeeming qualities about it. It is the strictest sense of all moral evils, hurtful and exceedingly bad. A stain on the very soul of a man, that which can only be dark, it's evil. It's very, very pointed in this word that he is using. Now, the sad truth about this evil is that it's not like some rare thing that only happens in very select people. When Solomon looked out, he started to recognize this. This is a cancerous disease that has gripped the majority of the people on the earth. He actually says, when I go out and I start to diagnose people and I start to look, he said, this is a disease that has infiltrated most of the population. This is common among men. This is like the common cold. Everybody's catching it. Everybody's got this problem. In Mark chapter number 10 and verse number 25, Jesus would describe how tragic and, and devilish and evil it was for somebody to be so consumed with riches. He would say it this way, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard all kinds of fang dangling of people saying, well, the camel on the eye of a needle is really this interesting gate. I think Jesus had in mind there that it's something that is absolutely impossible without divine intervention. Amen. That there is no human way possible that you're going to take a camel and fit it through the eye of a needle. If that's going to happen, it has to be a divine action and work of God. And so he's not saying it's impossible for a rich person to say, well, he says this, it's very improbable. Well, what is that? Those are symptoms of an evil disease. Somebody who has that infiltration of evil and darkness into their life, if they will not nip that in the bud, it can take them to a position in their life where they are so far removed from redeeming qualities that Jesus said it this way, it's really hard for them to accept the grace of God Almighty and be saved. Now what's scary about this is Solomon says this is a common disease. This is something that has infiltrated so much of our culture, so much of people, is that they are all in on this great evil of the love of money. 
In, in verse number 2, he says it this way, a man in Ecclesiastes 6, 2, he says, A man to whom God hath given riches, wealth, honor, so that he wanteth nothing for all his soul, all his soul that he desireth. He describes in great detail here that God has given him these riches. So he has attained to a point now where he says, I've got all this wealth. He's attained honor, which holds the idea that people know who he is. He's got some name recognition. He holds some position there. And he obviously has it all. He lacks nothing is what the Bible says. So this is an individual who, opposed to last week, who's saying more, more, more. This is a person who now has somewhat reached the end of that uh, more, more, more. It'll never be ended. But has gotten to the point where he can look back and he goes, I got a lot of money. I got a lot of stuff. I got some name recognition to me. I've got uh, some position, some prowess. I've done something with my life. But notice what he says there at the end of verse number 2 when he says this, Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof. Now listen, it's clear in the Scriptures that somebody can work their whole life and amass wealth, and they do get to enjoy that, but you, you can't miss this. It's only for a little bit of time. Someone might amass tons and tons and and gobs amount of money, just huge amounts of money and fame and position. But listen, there's one of two things that are going to happen that are going to make it where God will not allow him to enjoy that full term. One thing is, he's eventually going to die. Now, whether that's when an individual's younger, maybe 40, 50, or he's older, and maybe up in 80s or 90s or 100, or maybe God willing lives up to be Methuselah's age. 969. Could you imagine you have these people that have these birthdays where it's like 100 and there's all the candles and they're making a big deal of it? Could you imagine the news headlines for Methuselah? He's got like this 10 foot long cake and it's totally smothered in candles. Call the fire department out because they burned the building down, you know, it's just candles everywhere. But you know what? We get a little ahead of ourselves here in verse number five, I believe it is. He actually says this, if a man actually lived a thousand twice over, that's more than twice the age of the oldest recorded living person in the Bible. He says this, even that would be a short amount of time. Even that, in the scope of eternity, in the scope of the grand scheme of things, that's not very long. So God doesn't give him the ability to enjoy it because even if he were to live a long life, even 2,000 years, which... You're not going to live that long. But even a long life here on this earth is short. But I think the idea here is not just long life. It also holds the idea that there's stuff that happens, calamities, even before death, that can jeopardize wealth. Jesus described it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you can lay up treasure on this earth, but moth can destroy and rust can destroy and thieves can break through and steal. And we'll just add a little bit here to this just to kind of modernize some things. And uh, the stock market can take a dip. And the company can lay off. Right? So, so much so that people can feel like there's security in amassing all this money. And then within a year's time, you're like, inflation. Cut that in half. Oh, dip in the stock market. Pfft, lost half of it. And listen, I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer here on any of this, okay? I understand where the economy's at right now. 
Listen, I understand people are reeling right now with some of their, especially on a fixed income. But it's just, I think it's pointing to the reality. When our hope is in riches, we will be disappointed. Because when we put all of our eggs in that basket and we feel like, man, I finally attained. I'm finally at retirement age. I finally got there. I've got this big old nest egg and I've got my house and I've got this and I've got this. And then it's like that's where all your security and all your hope and all your life is based on that. And then God comes along and goes. And in, and, and in a matter of just no time, it can be gone. And if that is where your hope is lying, that's a rather hopeless feeling. Listen, a lot of people in our world are feeling pretty hopeless right now because they have an evil disease that has rotten their bones. A love of possession, a security in nothing but money, a feeling that if I have this, then I will be content. This is my whole of life. And Solomon comes in and he says, this is an evil way of thinking. This is not what God intended for you. You can be stripped of all those riches that are there. Now, this is crazy to me. Um, he actually, and I, and I want to be careful how I say this because I understand <clears throat> there might be those who have gone through some things. But I want to be true to the text. In verses 3 through 5, Solomon talks about he does a comparison between two evil things, a stillborn baby and a person who lives this evil disease. Now, again, Solomon is not talking about that a stillborn baby is a good thing. He is comparing it that that is a very tragic and a sad event that anyone would ever have to go through that. But he says, how much more tragic is it that somebody would live a life of vanity for wealth? Now, again, I'm, we're not making light of a stillborn baby, but I want to be true to the text of what Solomon points out here with this. Now, as he goes through and he talks about uh, the, the terrible things that can be involved with a stillborn baby, in verse number 4, he says this, For he cometh with vanity and departeth in darkness. It feels kind of hopeless. You know, baby's born and, and they come in with a, an empty life. There's no life there. They're just in darkness. Again, in verse number four, he says, His name shall be covered with darkness, which is this, there's no life that has a memory attached to it. I mean, again, we remember the child because they were born, but as far as memories created after the birth, there's no memory there. There's no, uh, obviously, their name is covered with darkness. There's no association with memory. Verse number five, He hath not seen the sun. Never had the opportunity to breathe the air or see the sun or experience this world in this life. And then again in verse number 5 where he says, Nor knoweth anything. He never knew the joys or the hurts of this life. He just never was able to experience those. Now in verse number 5 he then talks about this. This hath more rest than the other. You see that the verse because he's drawn a contrast here where he talks about the, the devastation of a stillborn baby and, and the darkness and the loss of a name and the loss of a life and how tragic that is. But notice this, he says this. It's actually better for a baby that is born stillborn than for an individual who lives a life with this evil disease. Now Solomon's reasoning and his thinking behind this is simply this. The baby at least had some purpose in its life in just the short amount of time that it was, and it didn't have to experience all the vanity and waste and, and, and look back over a life of emptiness that this individual does. Amen. 
Because I think there are those who spend their entire life in pursuit of the wrong thing only to look back and say, my life is completely void of any value or depth or meaning. If we were to bring our VBS scale up here, someone said VBS, no. It's January, no. Okay, calm down. Just talking about the scale as an illustration. If we were to bring the VBS scale, if you don't know what that is, we have pennies and we weigh them and we almost break it and it's awesome. It's a lot of fun. But they, we have the boys and the girls bring in their pennies and whichever one weighs more, it poof, right? It's a scale. It tips the scale and the other one goes flying up in the air and the other one goes down to the ground. Now listen, if we were to have that scale in here this morning, here's what Solomon really visually wants us to understand. He says, on one side of this, it's like you've got gold bars. Like pure 999 gold bars. Like, I don't know how much a gold bar is worth, but a lot of money. And just filling up this five-gallon bucket, just stacking it full of gold bars. That sounds pretty awesome. And then the other side of the bucket, you have bubbles. Because that's what we've been describing this whole time. Now, here's the thing. Somebody's over here and they're going, and they're blowing bubbles. And look at all these bubbles that I'm gaining. This is awesome. This is wonderful. Look at all this stuff. And they feel like they're amassing more and more volume. Every day I'm blowing a bubble, man. I got so much bubbles in there. Man, there's so many bubbles. Only to get to the end of their life and realize no more bubbles. It's empty. They've all popped. Why? They were vain. They were empty. They, they promised volume, but there was nothing to them. Now, on the other side, the gold bars, what, what is that? Well, that's this. Gold, silver, precious stone. That which is laid up in heaven. Rust cannot affect it. Moth cannot eat it. Thieves cannot steal it. If I told you this morning... We just some financial advice here this morning. If I told you this morning, you could go down to the bank and you could take out a certificate of deposit, a CD today, and you would get guaranteed 100% return on your money in 30 days, every one of you would leave from this building this morning and you would go put what money you were able to put in that bank account immediately. Amen. You, you would. I mean, come on now. We talk about 4 or 5% and everyone's like, whoo, hot dog. That's awesome. Uh, people talk about going down. They're like, man, I'm going to take these risk investments here and I'm going to uh, strategize on put this together so I can maybe get 10 or 12%. Woo, I did really good, man. I got 20% growth. No, no, no. Here's the thing. Those are not protected by loss. There's no guarantee there. And we get so excited over such minuscule things. And what Solomon is saying, it's like there's an investment that can be made in heaven that doesn't just pay tenfold or twentyfold or a hundredfold. It's like exponentially greater. And it is that that cannot be affected by theft or loss or moth or rust or any corruption. And here's the great thing about it. Mm, mm, it's so good. He's simply saying this. Listen, even if you live 2,000 years on this earth, the bubbles run out. You're eventually going to die or it's going to be gone and there's no promises of it. But this stuff over here, 10,000 years will just be started. started. Oh, yeah. Well, what are we talking about? We're talking about this. T 
time has no bearing. Do you know when we get to heaven, there's no more sun, there's no more moon, there's no more time, there's no more days. We are with the ancient of days. When there's a new heaven and new earth, we now live in what is called the eternal state, which simply means this, no end. Amen. So a million years later, it's like the first day. Because time doesn't exist anymore. It's all one continuous day. Now, I'm not fantastic at math, but I do understand this. To what benefit is there to invest all of my energy and worry and time and stress into these temporal things here on this earth when God has promised an eternal weight of glory that is so much more valuable, that returns so much more dividends, and doesn't end? And yet, there are so many people, Solomon looks and he goes, there are people who are absolutely consumed with this disease. And here's the evil about it. They're missing out on so much greater returns. Now listen, the song that I had opportunity to sing this morning, I hope it's your testimony you say this, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather have Jesus than riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or land. I'd rather have Jesus. I hope that's your testimony here this morning when you say this. In comparison, there's no comparison. Now, I want to be abundantly clear as we kind of we're landing the plane. I want to be abundantly clear about this. There is nothing wrong with having houses or land or wealth or money. It is amoral. There's nothing wrong with it. Have a job. Work. Grow a business. Build something of yourself. Have a nice house. Have a nice car. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't let that become the consumption of your life. No, no, no. Don't let that be the heartbeat and the passion of who you are. We didn't look at it there, but in verse number three, do you know Solomon points out a couple things that he says in comparison to money, even things here on this earth are better than money? He talks about having children. Did you know having a quiver full of children is considered a blessing of the Lord? Sometimes they don't feel that way, but... I'll tell you this, how many, no, no, how many families have traded off their kids for money? Oh, I would never do that. I would never sell my children. I'm not talking about selling your kids. I'm talking about you're willing to spend more time on the stuff you own and the career path that you've chosen than investing in your children, teaching them the things and ways of the Lord, loving on them, spending time with them, investing in them. Well, I have quality time with them. It's not always quantity time. No, no, no. They're one and the same. Your kids need quality time, but they also need quantity time with you. Listen, if you've got kids at home, you still got grandkids in your life, you've got family in your life, don't, don't trade off those things. You've got a church family here, don't trade. Listen, there are things that are of so much greater value than money. There's nothing wrong with money. Money's not bad. But the love of it is very bad. So here's the challenge this morning. Don't love money. Love God. Because if we were to bring the scale out here this morning, there's no comparison. It, it wouldn't even teeter for a minute. Because the vanity or the emptiness of money holds no counterweight to the value of the eternal weight of glory that God has in store for us. So do this. Lay up treasure in heaven. Where moth, rust, theft, no effect on it. 
and do the work of the Lord. Let's all stand together as we come to a time of invitation here this morning.